This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This week, the Clarets twice came from behind to claim points against the champions and a team with Champions League ambitions. This is the No Name Never podcast. Hello and welcome to the No Name Never podcast. I'm Richard Steele, sitting in for Natalie, who is hard at work again. But I'm delighted to say I'm joined by regular panellists Tom Whitaker and George Poole. Firstly, I'm curious to see what uh, mood uh, both of the panellists are in. Um, it seems like Europe's slipping away a little bit. But you can't really argue um, getting two points um, against two really high-quality opposition, especially um, with injuries to, to, to our team. Um, moving on to the two games we've got to look at, we'll start with Liverpool on Saturday. Fantastic point for the Clarets. First team uh, to take any points um against Liverpool at Anfield this season in a really determined performance from Burnley. Um, Tom, I'll come to you first. Going back to our last away game against real high-quality opposition against City, do you you think there was a lot of improvement in the Liverpool game? Uh, Well, just one look at the scoreline should tell you there was, definitely. (laughs) (laughs) It's a funny one with with Liverpool because obviously they're they're a bit of a machine and uh, they've tended to give us a good going over at the turf when when we played them. But I always feel like we can get at them a lot more than we can City. I mean, City always seems to be 4-5-0. We never lay a glove on them. But Liverpool, we always nick a goal. I think we've gone in front like the last three times at Anfield before this game. So I was always slightly hopeful we'd we'd be able to put up a bit more of a sharing than we did against City. And I think the other thing is it's a good time to play them. Obviously, they've already won the league. They've got nothing to play for now. Playing a couple couple of kids. I mean, they both played well, but I think maybe that sort of 2 3% drop-off was there for Liverpool. You could see it. Um, and that contributed as well. But yeah, we certainly uh, stood well, defended well. Um, and I think we had a bit more ambition than, than we did in the City game, whether that's because... Uh, you know, we sensed Liverpool a bit more there for the take in, maybe because we've ridden our luck a little bit in the first half and kept the score down. Uh, but yeah, yeah, definitely a much improved performance. Yeah, spot on. So obviously, the City game was tough. Um, the squad was decimated. We were disappointed with contract situations. And, um, you know, first game after restart to, you know, 
from where we are now, we're playing with so much more confidence. Um, our shape's looking much, much better. Um, you know, when we're really playing with more quality now. Moving on to Nick Pope. He's been absolutely fantastic this season. I think since uh, we've come back from lockdown, he's gone up another level with his form. You know, and some of the saves he made on um, Saturday were absolutely superb. He made three world-class saves in particular uh, to deny Salah twice and then Mane. George, just sum up that performance for us. It was superb, wasn't it? And it, it really, it really stood out uh, a lot in in the mainstream ma- media as well. I, I was happy to see on match of the day, uh, Gary Lineker and I can't remember the other pundits were on, but they, they were they were full of praise for Nick Pope. I mean, the one where he stayed from Salah, where I think it was to to the top left of the goal, and you just got a fingertip on it and poured it away. I mean, it was absolutely superb. I think he's well up there in the conversation with England's number one, obviously, and. What stood out to me over the weekend was that they had Crouch on BBC and he effectively said that Nick Pope was the best keeper he'd ever played with uh, in training. He said he'd, he'd turned round as though he'd, he'd probably got a goal and he'd turn round again and it wouldn't be in the back of the net. It, it, and thinking of all the, the amazing keepers that Crouch will have played with, I mean, that's some high praise indeed. I think his game, even though he'd played well throughout the course of the season, it just seems to have gone up another notch since the project restart and I think hopefully if he can get that golden glove it'll be well up there in conversation for England's number one and I think the better news is I can't see any of the big clubs needing a keeper so hopefully he'll be our number one for years to come as well. Yeah it seems you know like as you mentioned there George he's gone up he's just gone up another level Um, you know the save you alluded to against Salah where he seemed to claw it out of the net was absolutely superb really strong hand to it and you just feel so secure with him in the with him in the goal, George. I'll stick with you. And we mentioned it last week. England's playing um, friendly, which has just been announced against Wales in October. Do you think he should be given a chance in that uh, in that game? You'd hope so, wouldn't you? Especially after um, I think he started the last game. Bef- the last game England played, whether it was earlier this year, it might have been last year at this point. But I remember he started that game. You've got to think, unless if look if. Southgate comes out and starts Pickford after all his bad form this season, then you've got your answer, Pickford's England's number one, and that's that, because to be honest, there's not much more he can do to give up that spot. I mean, he made another mistake at the weekend, didn't he? So it'll be interesting to see if if he gives maybe, I don't know if we've got two games, have England got two games, or is it just the one? Um, I think it's just the one against Wales that has been announced, unless they do announce any more. It'll be interesting to see whether he maybe gives Pope and Henderson half each, or if he just gives Henderson a go. I think you'll get your answer because it'll only be, what, another less than 12 months to the Euros when they play Wales. So I think you'll get your answer whether it's Pickford starting and that's the number one or whether he gives Henderson or Pope a go. I mean, for us, let's hope it's Pope. Yeah, definitely. It'd be fantastic to see him start for England and get a really good run in the side. And amazing to see a Burnley player uh, you know, start for England at a major tournament. So moving on to the second half, we really started to get into the game more. I thought the drinks break really helped us. I think after that, we really started to get into the game. We'll talk about the drinks break later. But in quite typical Burnley style, we got a free kick. A ball pumped into the box. Uh, Taki with that header. Um, players were queuing up at the ed- edge of the box. But it landed to Jay. What a strike. How good a strike was that considering it was dropping behind him, Tom? Yeah, he made it look 
a lot easier than it was. I think. I think it's that's the player you want that to fall to because I think Rodriguez has got much more of a propensity for for taking the shot on than than any of our other strikers. I mean, Woods is sort of penalty box centre forward. You know, it's him outside the box very much, let alone shooting from outside the box. Yeah, Barnes has got one in him, but Rodriguez. Uh, he's the kind of player who will take on a shot that you're just not expecting him to. And sometimes it's the wrong decision. But thinking of the goal he scored against Chelsea this season, not, none of our other players are scoring that goal. And, and that was a similar one, I think. Uh, Wood probably wants another touch or two there. But just instinctive, a swivel, caught it so cleanly. No chance for the keeper. Yeah, fantastic technique. Great goal. Yeah, so obviously Jay's playing really well. He's been superb since lockdown. Um, Wood come back into the team. He got 60 minutes against Liverpool. Played a full 90 last night. Do you think that those two are our best uh, strike partnership, Tom? Uh, it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because Barnes was playing really, really well at the start of the season and he ended last season really well as well. Um, and obviously tailed off quite a lot in the middle of the season, but a lot of that was, was with him carrying an injury. Yeah, I think you'd have to say, to be fair, Rodriguez has done enough to earn the shirt. Um, he's, chip, he's chipping in with goals consistently. And he offers us... A bit of something different, definitely a bit more mobile than Barnes, I think, and uh, probably a bit technically as well. So, yeah, I think you'd have to say uh, if we're starting next season with all four strikers fit, you'd start with with Rod- Wooden Rodriguez. I certainly would. Yeah, fully agree with that. I think since Rodriguez has come into the team and really started playing well, I think we've looked a better side. And as Tom alluded to, there, he's just got that bit better technical ability than Barnes. Uh, so for me, they are the starting uh, strike partnership moving forward. Uh, all being well with injuries. And then late on into the game, you, you can't get too greedy. It was a fantastic point against Liverpool. Corners come in. It's, it's dropped to Gunmanson. Open goal. He's hit the bar. I was gutted. I thought, oh no, we could have got a win at Anfield. George, was you as disappointed as me or just happy to get that point? Look, we're all happy to get the point, but that doesn't mean we're not disappointed. I, I thought it was. I thought we were in dreamland there. I mean... Firstly, a brilliant corner from Westwood, which created the confusion to begin with. It's so good to have him him taking the corners from that side and the McNeil from the other side. I mean, we're a threat against any team with them corners, and it's it's really an entertaining one to see because if even against the bigger teams, we might not get forward much, but whenever there's a set piece, we're in we a chance. But yeah, the ball gets recycled and it just falls to Goodmanson, and it it, it just reminded me of. Um, was it the the, the, off, the off-field goal uh, way at Rovers? It just reminded me the way it just fell for him and he hits it and then you think it's going at top bins as well and then, oh, it hits the crossbar. Disappointing one, obviously, but you can't get too greedy. I thought we were well worth the point and maybe three might have been a bit cheeky and uh, you never know, it might have upset them to get a, an equaliser at the other end. So we'll yeah. take the point, but what a good strike from Goodmanson. Unlucky to see it hit the crossbar. Oh, yeah, I, I still think about it now. I, I kept saying to my dad when I'm watching it, how's he missed that? It's an open goal, but um, yeah, you can't complain about a point. And you just mentioned there, George, about Liverpool being upset. It was circulating on social media after the game that Andy Robertson was giving a bit of, the, of a volley to the officials, um, which to me seemed really unjustified. Again, you maybe go to a sport like rugby, that it would have been sent off for that. So, what's your take on that um, incident, George? Was it completely out of order or did Robertson have a point in considering the penalty incident? To be honest, I, I think in modern football, you, you come to expect that sort of behaviour from them towards the referees. I, the way the manager talked to them as well, there's a complete lack of respect. And um, 
I think it's something that it's whether the governing body wants to do something about it because if they laid down the law and said, right, from next season, we're not taking any of this anymore, we're going to be having bookings, sendings off for these sort of incidents, you know, you could really start to see the game be turned around in terms of the respect shown towards referees. I mean, you mentioned you mentioned rugby union there and the respect to the referees is so good that they can have microphones on the referees and it enhances the viewing the viewing at home tenfold. I mean, you can you get to hear what the players are saying. And I know some people are saying, well, you know, you might have the swearing, but I think what we've seen uh, since Project Restart it, with the games with empty stadiums, I know the commentators have made note of this, of what little bad language there has been and the players have definitely improved on that, you know, knowing that they're live on TV and you might be able to hear it. So I think it's something that if they did want to sort out, they really could do. And I think using the potential swearing as an excuse, it's just a bit, it's a, it's weak for me. And I think they need to sort of, gr- <laughs> to sit, for lack of another word, to grow a pair and to actually just lay down the law and say, no, look, from next season, this isn't going to be acceptable. And then hopefully you could get to a point where we could have microphones on the referees. Because when I watch Rugby Union, it definitely it's definitely a brilliant watch when you hear, you know, the players and what they're saying to the referee and why, he, why he's made such a decision. So I, I think Robert, Robertson was out of order, but it's to be expected in the modern game unless they do something about it. I'd love to see that, George. Players, uh, the refs getting mic'd up now. I'd love to see Sean Dyche give John Moss a bit of a volley too. I think that'd be absolutely brilliant, wouldn't it? Um, but yeah, it's something that does grind on me a little bit. You kind of... You always think that, you know, this is being broad, broadcast, you know, to young kids and everything. And that's not in the spirit of the game, or it shouldn't be. But I suppose and then Liverpool fans might argue that's what's made them a great team this year because they're such winners, etc. Um, OK, so moving to a point I mentioned earlier, we seem to really gain momentum after the drinks break in the second half. Um, and it has seemed to almost be used as a tactical break. Now, I think Brentford's manager, Thomas Frank, actually had a big tactics board out with him um, the, the other week in a, um, in a game. So, Tom, it's been banned for next, year's, for next season. Do you think that's a good thing that we're getting rid of the drinks break? Yeah, I'd much rather get rid of it. It's, it's too American for me. It's like turning a game into four quarters instead of two halves. You know, they'll if carried on with it, they'll just start sticking some adverts in there. I, I can't see the... I'm with the... I know Daesh said, you know, it's one thing to have it if, if it's boiling up. 20 degrees but you know they're having it's like drizzle in some games and this and they're having a drinks break it's pointless i mean have it if it's needed and you could do that anytime you know you could say you could just be flexible with it and say you know even if you're playing regular season in april or something and it's boiling up give them two minutes to have a drink fine but just mandating it every game it's pointless waste of time uh, yeah I, I hope we don't see it again next season yeah it does feel very americanized and the next thing knowing sky will maybe try and put you know, adverts on it to make more money. So I'm a I'm a big fan um, of getting rid of it next season. Another thing I'm not a big fan of is the five subs. Um, I just don't think there's any need for that amount of substitutes in a game. Nine on the bench definitely favours the big clubs, especially you know like City. You look at the bench they've got. Um, the IFAB have said that we can have five subs next season, but I think 14 out of 20 Premier League clubs have got a vote in favour for the rule to actually apply. George, can I get your thoughts on that, please? Yeah, it's, it's one thing that's really worrying me. I mean, OK, having five subs this season after, you know, they've had that, that extended break and, you know, they've not had a proper pre-season to get back up to fitness. But from next season, it shouldn't be an issue. 
we, we really shouldn't be having five subs. I mean, it's, it, really, without without sounding, you know, like whining and whining, it just isn't fair against the the, the smaller clubs when you've got yeah, a team like City bringing on De Bruyne, they could bring on Aguero, Sterling, uh, Mares, and we can bring on what like Brady and Wood, and that's about it, you know, from our bench. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, three subs has worked for as long as football's been around. I don't see a need to change it. It's I've seen maybe an argument on the other side that it's helped youngsters like Foden and Greenwood at United get a game. But look, if them players, if if those players are good enough, they'll get they'll manage to get some game time, and you can you can give them game time with three subs. I, I just think if it, if it continues into next season, it could be a really unfair advantage, and you could see the big teams, you know, pulling away from the rest of the pack even more than they, they already have done so. so But I, I'm hopeful that I think a lot of the teams will vote against it. So we'll, we'll just have to see where that one goes. Yeah, spot on with those views, George. Um, Premier League, get rid of it. Simple as that. Uh, so to summarise that Liverpool game, it feels fantastic that the Clarets got a point there. Um, I really kind of hope Liverpool win the remaining of the home games this season so that we can always say that we were the only team uh, to take any points off Liverpool. Okay, so moving on to last night match at Turf Moor, a very cold and windy Turf Moor, according to the BBC commentary team, who seem to repeat that fact over and over again um, last night. I thought Wolves um, were excellent, really good to watch. They had Neves and Moutinho in the middle of midfield, who really controlled the game. Um, so in the end, for me, a, a, a really good point, especially the injuries that we had. Um but in the first half, there wasn't that much to separate the sides. There were two chances. Potter had a good one for Wolves. Rodriguez, one for Burnley. Um, but it went to nil-nil at the break. Do you think any of them could have done better with those chances, Tom? Uh, the hotter one, I think Peters did well with that. Um, he probably should be looking to put it across the goal. Um, I don't think you're, you're likely to beat Nick Pope at his near post from where he was. And I think Peters did well, to be fair, got across and narrowed the angle. Uh, maybe if that had fell to him and as he would have took it a bit sooner. but. Um, that was a difficult chance. I, I, I wasn't surprised to see that go past the post. The Rodriguez one, um, I thought, so it was the one where McNeil's put that ball across and his first touch yeah. um, just yeah. lets Cody get get across to him and just sweep it out for a corner. I thought at the time that probably he couldn't do a lot more with it. I think it was just the fact that he had to take that touch and the defender's always going to get there. They said in the commentary he could have took it a bit far wide, but then he leaves your angle to have a shot for me. Um a few people, the people, I was watching it with, with my family, and they all thought it was a bit of a, a bad touch. He, he could have kept it in his feet a little bit more, but for me, I don't think there was there was much on there. I don't think he could have done a lot more with that. So, yeah, for me, there were half chances, and, and the defender's always the favourite for both of them. Yeah, typical dad, dad's that, isn't it, Tom? Man was the same. He thought, oh, that's an awful first touch. I'm like, well, you're not a professional footballer, are you, dad? So uh, I'll give Rodriguez the benefit of the doubt um, with, with that one, yeah, but agree. Uh, the hotter one was definitely the better of the chances um, and Burnley were happy to go uh, in nil-nil at the break. It didn't help, George, that we lost Taylor for half an hour. Do you think we missed him throughout the game or do you think Peters did OK uh, coming in a left-back from his unfamiliar position um, of right wing? As we've touched on already, I thought Peters did really well for the, the hotter chance. I mean, just to, to cover him behind, I think it was Tarkovsky. I think, you know, the Burnley team, we do that really well. You know, when the, a defender pushes up and another one covers in behind, and I think it really did make it into a half chance. 
Uh, I thought for the rest of the game, Peters looked solid. Uh, obviously, we missed Taylor going forward, and I think that's one thing where, you know, for the first half an hour of the game, we've got uh, an ex-Stoke City right-back in Bardsley and an ex-Stoke City <laughs> left-back in Peters, and they were going down the right wing together. I mean, you're never going to create that many chances. And then sticking Peters on the left, you know, it's it's not too much of an attacking full-back option. But I think, you know, within the first couple of minutes of him of him moving on to that left, uh, left-back position, Traore had a little bit of a, a run at him. He just, you know, from a standing start to what must be 35 miles an hour in this blink of a second. And he just glided past Peters with ease and chipped a ball into Jimenez. Luckily, Jimenez hit a, I think it was a header just straight at Pope. But yeah, at that yeah. point, I was thinking, bloody hell, you know, this is going to be a long <laughs> old game with Traore just absolutely whizzing past Peters. But to be honest, whether it was the whole team in the second half, maybe just defending a bit better, we didn't see Traore get as much one-on-one time with our full-backs. And that, other than a, a couple of bright moments, and I know it was Traore's run where he burst through for their goal. Um, but apart from that, there was no sort of one-on-ones with Peters. And I think we as a team did well to negate that threat. And, you know, at no other point in the game did you see Peters really exposed. So, yeah, I thought he was a dependable option in there. And I think, you know, it was a good summer signing from Dash. He's, he's proven himself well. Uh, hopefully Taylor can come back, though, in the next couple of games. Because, you know, he's been brilliant all season as well. And it'd be a shame to lose another injury. I mean, bloody hell, we've had enough of those, haven't we? Yeah. I know, you kind of just see him going down like flies at the moment. So it's all right, another one. Um, yeah, for me, Peters, I thought he did okay. I still think he looks better in midfield, which is quite strange considering he is a, a fullback. Um, but that kind of summarised the first half. Moving into the second half, I thought we started quite brightly. We got on the front foot uh, more so. Uh, but then, we, you know, we obviously Wolves started to get back into the game slowly and then we conceded that goal. Great finish by Jimenez. But, you know, George mentioned Traore there. You know, he is difficult to stop when, he's, when he gets going. He's so quick and so powerful. But for me, I felt we should have just volleyed him. You know, there was three players around him. We didn't take him down. Tom, was you frustrated um, with how we let Traore go through the midfield or do you just kind of go, it's really difficult to stop him? And it was a great strike by him. Him and Ez, it's just one of one of one of those things. Did my head in that? Did <laughs> yeah, it did my head in. I was trying to be polite. <laughs> so frustrating. It's like every opposition fan, you know, terms is like a bunch of cloggers and and that. And it's like I wish we could had a clogger in that midfield. It's exactly the same as the Son one, you know, when he's got that goal. Like, oh yeah, yeah. yeah that was even worse. All that. Yeah, just waving through like Joey Barney against Man United a few years ago. It's like, like I mean, commendable, and, and maybe he's just too quick for him or strong for him to actually bring him down if they try. But yeah, you've just got to trip him up and take the yellow there, haven't you? Because we haven't got anybody who's getting back yeah. to it, as it proved. You know, just outpaced everybody. Had a bit of luck, obviously, with the goal the way it set, the shot was absolutely terrible, and obviously it set up. It set, I, I heard uh, on match of the day they were saying it was a difficult one. I think it did set up quite quite kindly for him, to be honest. But hell of a finish, but like that was. Sometimes, you know, you've just got to hold your hands up and say, fair play, that's just class. A fantastic goal and the run was really good as well. Obviously, uh, you don't you don't want to advocate legging people up and fouling <laughs> them, but I think that's all we could do in, in that situation. A bit too too honourable and noble for our own goods there. <laughs> yeah, you know, sometimes people say that, you know, we're very dirty. I'd say we're tough, but in situations like that, just volume and, you know, take a yellow and then get back in position. But... As you mentioned, Tom, qual- high-quality finish. I think Jimenez has been one of the best strikers in the league this season and it really showed, you know, with that goal. Great technique and 
And I was talking about how good Pope has been this season. He had absolutely no chance uh, with that strike. But in typical Clavert's fashion, we wasn't at our best, but we never give up. George, when Wood missed that absolute sitter, I think I could have scored that one. Did you think it was game over then? Oh, it was it was absolutely ridiculous, wasn't it? <laughs> I mean, I, I watched I watched the second half back today, and hearing uh, it was uh, Ben Me and Phil Bird on commentary. And once when Wood just when Mud missed it, you could hear Ben Me go what, and then he I just went. Running, <laughs> and then he, he was silent because obviously you don't want to criticise your teammate, but bloody yeah, what a miss that was! All, all he needed to do was just nod his head at it. I, I, I mean, there, there's no way you could even miss that, or seemingly there is. I, I thought that was over at that point. You know, that was the 91st minute, was it? Yeah. And then we had, a, we had a, I think, another attack in like the 93rd minute and that brought down. And at that point, you're thinking, oh, the game's just going to dribble out here. You know, unfortunate loss. But, you know, we got the penalty and what a penalty it was. I mean, I, I was talking to my dad today. I said, I don't know why players don't do it more often, just shoot in top corner. I mean, he said it might be harder than that. But I said the professional footballers, I said the professional footballers should be able to do that. But it, it was a brilliant finish from Wood. And, I mean, he needed it because he needed to make up for that miss. It always seems like Chris Wood that's missing, missing sitters as well. I mean, I, I think he's one, he, he, I think he's our best striker, but he does, he does miss a fair few of his sitters. Yeah, I think the improvement of Wood in his... You know, he's always been a good goal scorer, but in his overall game this season has been superb. His hold-up play, running the channels. And I suppose that's why he scores so many goals is, you know, you can put those chances behind you, um, you know, and then... Be as be as cool as that to step up and take the penalty. Like you said, George, you won't see many many better penalties than that. I want to get both your opinions on this first. Uh, first, I will stick with you, George. It was uh, you know there's a lot of contention over this. Some saying it was, some saying it isn't. Uh, do you think it was a penalty? I think it's one of them where you, with VAR you go with the referee's decision because look. He's obviously he's not. I think we can all agree he's not putting his arms up as a, a deliberate handball. Like he is trying to protect himself. And I know there's there's still images from behind the goal where it looks like Chris Woods, you know, a mile away from him, and he is. But then you've got to take into account that well, the 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 both moving players, Chris Woods getting his legs up in the air, the defenders running towards Woods to head the ball out. You know, I don't blame him for putting his arms up like that. If you saw six foot four or whatever he is, Chris Wood lumbering his legs up in the air. So yeah. I, I, I don't blame the guy. But I think with Mike Dean going with the decision to give a penalty, you know, it'd be a really tough one for VAR to, to overturn that. I'm really not sure on the, the rules because I, I thought it had to be almost a, was it, is it a deliberate handball or is that in the build up to a goal? I've you got know? no idea what the rule is anymore. So <laughs> I think that that fits picture, doesn't I it? Know. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, before I give my view on it, Tom, your George, your great feedback. Tom, uh, your your view on the penalty? Yeah, I don't think you can you can say it's not handball because of his arms are out unnatural. I don't think he has to. You know, he's not the boot's not actually that near his head when you look at it. I think he, if he'd been a bit braver there or just stood still, he'd have been all right. Um, the the query is whether. Would throw his leg at that like that and getting nowhere near the ball, whether you class that as dangerous play. And uh, to be honest, I wouldn't have been that unhappy if that had been deemed dangerous play and, and a free kick had gone against us. Yeah. But if you're not deeming dangerous play, then it's 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 a handball for me. I don't think you can excuse him from the handball on the grounds that he's got a boot near his face. I think if you're a defender, you've just got to you've got to be a bit braver there. Either 
if you're going to sort of move towards the ball, you've got to either have your eyes on it or maybe push your you know, back or a shoulder to it, something where you're not going to get too much damage from the boot, but also you're not going to give away an amp ball. Either that or, like I say, stand still, gamble that he's going to miss it because you're not going to get in front of him and then there's no issue. Um, so I, I think we were a bit fortunate in that he's, he's not he's not gone straight for the uh, the easy decision, which was to give a, a free kick for dangerous play. But once you've done that, then it's it's a penalty for me. And I, I don't think there was any danger of it getting over to him when it got to that stage. Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll, great points. Uh, I, I, I don't feel I need to add anything more to that, but... Um... Well done, Mike Dean. <laughs> Sticking with you, Tom, you went on a Wolves fan podcast after the game last night. How did they view the match and were they disappointed with the draw? Uh, <laughs> yeah, they saw the penalty incident slightly differently to, to what oh, we did, as, yeah. as you might imagine. <laughs> <laughs> we had a good a good shot. I think they were we recorded it straight after the game, so I think the emotions were still quite high for them. Obviously, it was a bit more of a devastating result for them because it pretty much kills their, their hopes of getting the Champions League. Um, uh, there weren't too many bones of contention apart from the penalty. I think they got a bit melodramatic about it. I think probably if they watch the incident back again, they'll realise that uh, you know Matt Doherty wasn't in in serious danger or even I've seen some, some of their fans tweeting that it could have potentially killed him. I mean, <laughs> blimey. Um, I think like the emotions were getting the better of them slightly, shall we say, but uh, that's what being a football fan is about at the end of the day. Isn't it? So yeah, it was, it was interesting to, to get their view of us. I think it, again, it was probably, uh, you could have filled a line of cross bingo with some of the opinions that, that were on yeah. there before I came on, but that's the way we like it. And it, uh, it's, it's one thing to get points off him. It's another thing to really ruin their day as well. <laughs> yeah, spot on, Tom. Um, it's interesting always to hear other fans' uh, point of view on key decisions. And, um, you know, I think there's probably definitely bias to one side of a, or another with that penalty decision. Uh, so I think that summarises the Wolves game really well. Good point in the end. And it's really funny how uh, karma comes around. It was almost identical at Molyneux, which seems an absolute age ago. We played really well that game, scored a great goal in Barnes. And, Wolves got a you know a dubious penalty in the last minute and scored and obviously last night game was the polar opposite of that so yeah two one one draws against Wolves this season who are a fine side with some top players so I don't think we can be too unhappy with that at all. So with City's ban being overturned, it's kind of looked inevitable. Um, Means seventh place uh, now is what we would need to finish to get in the Europa League we've had two draws on a bounce even though the good results and with Arsenal Spurs winning Chef United's gone on a good run it looks very very difficult for us now to get into the Europa League um, we did run a poll last week um, last week about whether for the, for the fans to see if they would want us to qualify for Europe and there was a 60-40 split um, in favour of getting into Europe um, people who said no was mainly because of issues with squad, uh, transfers, etc. George, does Europe, does the a European dream for the second time seem to have passed us by now? I'll tell you what, before, before I answer that question, I'd like to say I wish there was a 60-40 split on the Europe vote in 2016 in favour of staying in Europe. <laughs> but, but, but no, I, I, I take your point and I think the, the European dream is over for next season. Uh, for now, I, I think Tottenham are seventh place, four points above us. I think all the teams would have to, you know, drop a lot of points in the last two games and we'd have to win both. You know, it, it does seem highly unlikely, but I, I'd like to echo, echo Tom's points from last week's podcast where he was saying, 
I think for the people who did manage to go on the European trips, I managed to go to all three games a couple Lucky of years back. And uh, I've got I've got to say the same as Tom. You know, that's the stuff that you'll you you, you remember as a fan the the cup finals, the playoff win playoff win at Wembley. It's the, it's those trips that you know make it as a fan it's not finishing 14th and staying up comfortably in the prem even though you know that that is good and we take that for granted nowadays but you know it would have been brilliant to 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 finish 7th or if 8th if that if the ban hadn't been overturned by you know city spending the money in illegal ways uh but you know the less said on that the better um you know it's a shame we're not going to get it but you can't really complain we've lost one game in 14 which is just absolutely remarkable, yeah. especially when you you take into account the sort of teams we've played. Wolves, you know, they've been absolutely brilliant this season. Liverpool, I think, have we played Tottenham in that run as well? I I, I saw a stat today since the start of the the year, we, we're third in the form table, twenty seven points from fifteen games. I, I think it, it probably more than anything it fills me with hope for next season because if we can you know balance out our form over the course of the season, you know, who's to say we can't? target a top eight finish i know it might seem fancy fancy full is that the word but anyway <laughs> but we'd, have, we'd have thought that about a top 10 finish before the start of this season and now look at us so i think you know what we'll have to see what happens next season yeah i think you know very fortunate you know georgie you got to go to all three games i managed to go to aberdeen away which was amazing i didn't quite have the funds at the time uh, to make the other two trips i was just praying that we would have got through to the group stage and got someone a little bit closer. Um, but as you said there, uh, you know, it really fills you with optimism going into next season. Obviously, the the closed season, the transfer window situation with dice kind of, you know, le- leaves a little bit of uncertainty. But I I really always do kind of, I say it every season, you, you want the club to keep progressing and getting better, you know. Does the does saying if you stand still, you go backwards. So, Hopefully, you know, Dice will get a little bit of backing and I say that with my fingers crossed. So going into the last two games of the season, we've got um, Norwich away on Saturday, um, who were pretty rubbish. And then we've got Brighton at home, the last game of the season. So, Tom, in previous seasons, the Clavets have maybe gone on the beach a little bit. But there seems that won't happen with this Dice team. So how do you think we'll do for the remainder of the games? Oh, firstly, going into Saturday's game. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see uh, because I, I have to say I thought this whole lockdown period was going to be similar to, to you know, a dice end of season. I didn't think we'd approach it with the, the way we have done. You know, we've, we've put so much into it. Well, it's been the complete uh, opposite, hasn't think... it? It's been, unbe- it's, it's been unbelievable. Yeah, it has. it's been fantastic. The spirit is just un- unreal. And uh, I did think we were starting to look a bit leggy in the Wolves game. I think Westwood looked out on his feet, especially. Um, the passing has dropped off quite a lot, but then we're playing two of the worst teams in the league in the last couple of games. So I think a lot of it will depend on how bothered we are about you know trying to get as high up the table as we can. I think we're pretty much nailed on to, to finishing the top half now. Um, obviously, it's an extra two, three million quid for each place up you go, but that's not seemed to be a big consideration in the past. But maybe if Dice is angling for more money, that's that's something that him and Garlic have spoken about, and maybe he said, well, you know. If you can get us two or three places up that table, then you've got an, an extra, you know, six, seven, eight million on your budget. So maybe that'll be a motivation. Powder. More dry powder. Yeah, there you go. I think <laughs> the situation might be a consideration as well. You know, if Taylor is out, um, who else went off? Um, yeah. Rodriguez went off again, didn't he? Yeah. So if we're, if Taylor's injured and we're playing Peters, 
if Rodriguez is injured, I mean, we will literally have a first 11 and that's it, won't we, at that point? So maybe you'll think, do you know what, it, you know, we're top half, we ain't getting in Europe, maybe I'll play a few of the kids. So maybe that'll come into it as well and that might affect the results. But on paper, yeah, we, sh- we should have too much for, for Norwich and Brighton. So, yeah, no reason we can't still be looking up. Yeah, it'd be nice to see some of the youth players again. It's, you know, everybody says, you know, throw these young lads in, but we don't really know how good they are. Or, um, obviously, when you play them at that level, it'd be nice to see um, Goodmanson get a start. I know his body's kind of been let, let him down recently, but I thought he looked really bright when he come on last night. And he's just a player I think has got tremendous quality. It makes us a better team. Um, so, Tom, I'll stick with you. What's your score prediction for Saturday against Norwich City? Uh, I, it would be really embarrassing if we were the only team uh, since the lockdown who hasn't beaten Norwich. So, yeah, I've got to go a comfortable 2-0. Yeah. Uh, George, same question for you. Score prediction and goal scorers. Yeah, I've got to, I've got to agree with Tom there. I mean, Norwich, let's be honest, have been absolutely awful since, since well, since the start of the season, we may as well say. So, yeah, I'm back enough to get a 2-0 win. I think you'd hope J-Rod, you know, I'd, I'm going to say J-Rod's going to be fit. You know, I'd, I'd hopefully... Yeah. Like a precautionary thing to take him off, so I'd say Rodriguez and Brown. I'm going to back Brownhill to score, and hopefully nice. with we're on 51 points now. You know, we in our the season we finished seventh, we finished on 54 points. This could be our record points total in the Premier League, and I, I I'd probably put it out there. Maybe a question to listeners: Is this the best the best team Dash has ever assembled? Because even with all the injury situations and the contract situations. We might end up with a, a record points total. And, you know, if we don't lose between now and the end of the season, one loss in 16, I think for me, this is the best Burnley team under Dash we've seen. Yeah, you, you, you know, you, you can't argue with that. I think the season we did come seventh, there was a lot of 1 0 wins, you know, a lot of hanging on. But this season, we've had some fantastic performances. And, you know, we've, you know, West Ham, we battered them 3 0, Bournemouth at home, you know, some great away, game, uh, away wins. So, really can't argue with that. Um, coming to the end of the podcast, so no name ever uh, fans. Um, we're going to be running some alternative end of season awards uh, for categories like worst miss, best anti football moment, uh, player of the project restart, etc. So please look out uh, for the link to the polls on our social media channels uh, next week. To summarise for me, uh, just really proud being a Burnley fan at the moment. Felt such pride. Uh, getting that draw against Anfield, um, you know, and it's really nice to go into these last two games of the season, you know, not fighting relegation and, you know, we've pretty much consolidated a top half finish. So, and as George was saying, you know, what a great team this is, full of effort, application and real quality. Uh, I just want to say thanks very much uh, to our regular panellists, Tom Whitaker and George Poole. As always, thanks to our editor, uh, Matt Moss, who does a great uh, job in making the podcast look very shiny. Uh, but most of all, and most importantly, thank you to our listeners. This has been the No Name Ever podcast. days are great but there's nothing quite like playing at home the same goes for mcdonald's maximize your home ground advantage with mcdelivery order now on the mcdonald's app at participating restaurants 18 plus serving times delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonald's.com 
And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.